Welcome to World Oil's Oil Field Electrification Technology Podcast, sponsored by Joliet Electric Motors, powering today's oil field for tomorrow's energy. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jim Watkins from World Oil. And I'm Shane Hackenberg with Joliet Electric Motors. We're back at the wonderful Blend Bar, enjoying some good lunch and whiskey and cigars and talking oil field electrification. We also just filled our belly with some amazing food. So Yeah, I tell you, most people don't even think of the Blend Bar as a place to have lunch, right? It's just like a drinking and cigar place. But if you want some really good food, come down here. Lunch, they open at noon. Just come down. Have a fantastic lunch. You'll be happy you did. And then you can have a cigar. And there you go. Afterward. Yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. And so our special guest today is Michael Hertzenberg, Senior Vice President of Electrification at Volta. Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, Volta, part of the W Industries family and really happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. And yeah, got to second that recommendation, the food and everything. It's a great vibe here. Yeah, yeah no, it's fantastic. And <clears throat> If you're ever here for lunch or whatever, just tell them you want to peek inside the boardroom and you'll see where we're at. We don't want to tell everybody that. Okay. This is, this no, is no, a that's secret private. place. Don't, no, but don't all joking that. aside, it is a nice little spot that they allow us to come in here and conduct these podcasts. So we do appreciate that. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, Michael, usually before we get started talking about the meat of what we're talking about, we want to find out a little bit about you and your background sure. and how you came to be the Senior Vice President of Electrification. Yeah, no, thanks. So yeah, so I've been, you know, messing around in this industry for right around 15 years, you know, just various points of the integration of, you know, electrification equipment, pretty much always in the low and medium voltage. Done a few other, you know, interesting things along the lines of startups, alternative energy and traditional offshore upstream oil and gas, but kind of got settled into this space, came up more through project management more than anything else and just kind of slowly made my way over to W Industries and joined the Volta team. Roughly Roughly a year after W bought the group, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, of course, but and then kind of worked with the founder of the company who really built up an amazing business and an amazing team and facility. And so got to kind of work with him and understand his vision and what he had done and why he had done certain things. And then, you know, kind of took over fully right about a year ago and, you know, just hopefully keep all that good momentum going and get us doing some new things. Yeah, well, let's talk about Volta then and what exactly you guys do and that whole relationship with W Industries. Sure, sure. So I think what I'll do is I can start a little bit with the W Industries because I can lead into how the Volta thing happened and how it makes sense for W. But, you know, W overall has been around for just a little over 40 years, really started heavily on the controls, automation side, field service, things like that primarily focused on upstream oil and gas, you know, both offshore and just general, you know, West Texas type work, right? From the beginning, as W grew, the focus was always, like I say, kind of on three big things, right? Engineered solutions, very, very custom solutions for what the various customers need, not a lot of cookie cutter packages, right? We like to really understand what the end goal of a project needs to be, but then also cradle to grave support of that, right? Getting in at the design level, understanding how to support that, but then also following through with everything from commissioning, installation, you know, startup, preventative maintenance, reactive maintenance, all of that. And so, you know, as it's grown, the divisions have been added on to support that. But the last thing, and this is really one of the big things, is we try to be a true fabrication facility, right? A lot of companies these days are really focusing more on assembly and right. outsourcing and offshoring a lot of the you know true fabrication work. 
And I think we're all seeing some of the effects of what that offshoring can do to you and, you know, over the last two years. But, you know, we've really focused on retaining a lot of those fabrication capabilities. We've had three facilities in North Houston, facilities in Louisiana, West Texas that all do, you know, various amounts of heavy fabrication, sheet metal, all the way down to just software type work. Oh, wow. So, So very diverse. And so along those lines, and this will kind of lead us into the Voltas, we're made up, W Industries, of four main divisions. Integrated Systems, which does our heavy fabrication, think HPUs, chemical injection skids, along those lines. Our Technology Solutions Group, which is heavy on obviously the technology side, software, automation, controls, a lot of systems monitoring. Cybersecurity is a big piece of what they're moving into for obvious reasons. Field services is our largest component right now. And that really is kind of the backbone of what brings everything together, right? The ability to support all facets of the different divisions that we have. And then the electrification division, which I'll go into more detail, that's the Volta Group and what we do. And then we have a small component of emerging markets. One of the big things we're doing there is a heavy focus on water treatment, wastewater. We actually have a technology that we're really excited about that is really targeted towards the fracking environment where it takes that you know chemical injected water and uses a heating and flashing process that can basically steam off the water, trap a lot of those chemicals, significant reduction in total waste that has to be disposed but it can also capture a lot of the clean water for reuse and different purposes. So it's a pretty impressive technology. I mean, we're pretty excited about the ROI and have a few case studies out there where it's in use and you know we're kind of growing that right now. So that's one of the big things we're excited about there. That's fascinating. I'll have to connect you with our editorial team for the magazine because that type of use of you know, energy and heat that's already out there, I suppose it's from turbine or you can do it off of a flare, whatever. And then I've seen systems that'll flash it off and then you'll have that really toxic waste stuff left. But I've never heard of anybody saying, hey man, now you got this steam, let's recapture that because that's clean water, right? So that's something, that's something. For sure. Well, you know, and I've heard, you know, something about the produced water and specifically in West Texas, it's got a considerable amount of lithium in it, which... You know, interesting Mm. enough, if you can take some of that byproduct and lithium, especially with the supply chain issues that we're seeing with when it comes to batteries and energy storage. Yeah, yeah. Man, that also would be huge in the the marketplace as well. Hey, everybody, let me jump in here for a second just to thank our generous sponsors, Joliet Electric Motors. Without their support, this podcast wouldn't even be possible. So for all of your oil-filled electric motor needs, whether that's new motors, refurbs, field work, whatever you need, be sure and give Joliet a call. Remember, that's Joliet Electric Motors, powering today's energy and transition for tomorrow's energy needs. Let's get back to the show. Oh, absolutely. Can you imagine being able to sell off the waste from your waste? I mean, that's Pretty, I think I magical, could even right? sell that. <laughs> you know? And that's marketable too, yeah, right? Turning yeah. waste into revenue. Right. I mean, hey, we'll, we'll exactly. take it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, every operator wants to do that. That's, that's right. That's for sure. That's for sure. So that is interesting. I mean, W Industries touches a lot and in a lot of different industries, but most of it's oil and gas, right? So correct. So historically the legacy, you know, W Industries family is upstream, like I said. And, you know, like everybody else over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, we've been making our way more into 
other areas. We actually, you know, some of the other divisions have some interesting projects going on in vertical farming and, you know, moving just general onshore, whether it's onshore oil and gas, LNG obviously is a big topic for everybody these days. But yeah, so looking at a lot of different things there. And so that really is what kind of ties in the Volta Group, which again, we're moving to the electrification name to really represent what we do. And the whole motion to bring Volta into the fold with W was really along that idea of maintaining those same core principles, right? And the idea, I'm going to have to use my hands here, so apologize to your <laughs> listeners, but I always compare it to kind of concentric circles, right? A Venn diagram where every entity that we have has a little bit of overlap, sure, right? right? There's It's not 100%, but there's some mutual customers, there's some mutual engineering concepts and things like that that really tie them together. But there's enough uniqueness there that it really allows us to pull each other around and introduce existing customers to new solutions and vice versa. So the electrification side, our core business is and, and has been since about 2006, the design and building of custom fabricated metal enclosures, so equipment centers, as well as we're an OEM for the distribution and control equipment that goes inside of it. So what does that, oh, okay. what does that mean? Right. right? Basically, the metal fabricated buildings range from anything from 500 square feet to 6,000 square feet. They're very modularized wow. when they get that big. And they're all dedicated to housing that electrical equipment. So we range from low voltage, you know, heavy 480 volt, all the way up to 38 kV. And, you know, we do it a variety of different ways from, you know, OEM ground up solutions to what we call abbreviated packages. And sometimes we just buy certain things outright. But what really sets us apart from the rest of the industry is we're agnostic to breaker. So there's not a Volta breaker. You know, we essentially have partnerships, whether it's licensing agreements, UL extensions, a variety of forms with all of the major OEMs, ABB, Eaton, Schneider, Siemens, et cetera, to take their breaker and then package it in the various switchgear and other equipment to house it and operate it. So some of that looks like, again, ground up solutions where we might build something using our own in-house equipment. Some of it is what we call abbreviated switchgear, where essentially the major OEM can do some of the frames and structures. And then we do all of the low voltage components, controls, and the systems that go in with that. Where that becomes important is you know flexibility. And that's one of the big things that we always talk about is we can mix and match a lot of the equipment, whether it's controls, power, et cetera, to where we can find the best solution for the customers, whether it's a schedule-driven solution or a function-driven solution, or maybe it's just a price-driven solution, right? right we can yeah. mix and match those different things to really optimize, especially in this climate where all three of those things tend to change day to day. <laughs> right. Um, you know, that's our big thing that we drive towards. And then the last big thing, and, you know, Shane and I were talking about this a little bit. He had the, you know, opportunity to tour our facility, but we're very proud of the facility that we have. And we, you know, it's very purpose-built. Again, the founder of the company really focused on layout and incremental growth that really laid the facility out for that core business. Nice. And so we're currently sitting at about 140,000 square feet of indoor crane serve space. Most of it is climate controlled. And, you know, so that gives us a lot of advantages for how we integrate, how we build the equipment. But then we're also building a 40,000 square foot expansion dedicated to our overall gear production. Oh, okay. And so, you know, we have a lot of, we're working on a lot of new products. We've got some partnerships with various customers and, 
you know, our history is also oil and gas like the rest of W, but we are much more midstream historically. And, you know, we still keep that focus. We have some really great relationships with our midstream customers. And so we continue to drive that, but we're also very focused on the future. And so we're getting a lot more into LNG projects. We're seeing a lot more data center type work. Renewables are becoming a big piece. And obviously, I mean, everybody talks about the grid these days. So utilities are something that's coming up. So all of those things coming together, you know, we see a very bright future for where we're going and opportunities for new products and development. Yeah. And the nice thing is, is that anything dealing with electricity needs you or somebody like you to put it together. So that's right. the more electric things become, the more business you get, basically. That's exactly. I mean, until they figure out how to, you know, move electricity wirelessly, you're always going to need somebody there to control it and somebody there to help push it along. So, Well, that was Tesla back in the day and they took care of that, right? So I don't think that's going to happen <laughs> anytime soon. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But backing up a little bit about how you guys work, right? So, okay. you know, I don't know much about any of this stuff really, but that's why I'm a good questioner because I ask stupid questions. <laughs> but here's one of the questions I had. Then, so you say you can mix and match stuff and you can put mm -hmm. things together, but doesn't everybody do that? So, I mean, great question. I mean, you know, there are certainly different ways to combine things, but where we really focus is those brand name OEMs, right? Ah, okay. If you go and you work with some of the more, you know, concentrated with the brand name groups, you know, obviously they're going to want you to have medium voltage by them, low voltage by them, controls by them, ah, et cetera, okay. et cetera. Right, and yeah. sometimes that's just not the best pairing. Right. And so, you know, sometimes it is. I mean, sometimes that makes sense. No worries there. But a lot of times, especially, you know, with a schedule driven solution, you know, all this equipment is built in different facilities. And so it's always possible that one facility has a very tight backlog. You know, you look at low voltage equipment these days, data centers, Bitcoin mining, you know, those types right. of industries are just going haywire right, right now. And so low voltage equipment has very long lead times and they all fluctuate from who you're on and they can fluctuate from week to week. And so the ability to say, well, you know, we really need the functionality of this medium voltage breaker, you know, but that same breaker in a low voltage version or that same company in a low voltage version, the lead time is just too extensive. And so that's where we can come in and say, okay, well, we can give you, you know, the best of both worlds. And because we have so much control over how the final product is built, again, whether it's solutions that we provide or UL extensions, you know, we can optimize both of those things. So. Yeah. And just out of curiosity, for my sake, are there operators or something who take this all in-house and try to do, you know, build their own control facilities and keep all that expertise? Because it seems like you guys got a lot of expertise in that, right? You've done it for a long time. You've done that. Is there any reason why an operator would be like, nah, we're not going to use anybody outside. We'll just hire some guys and work it out ourselves. Yeah. I mean, so certainly some companies, you know, maybe if they have a very large project where it's going to span a long amount of time, they may do that. But at the end of the day, you know, these companies don't need to staff a full project development team you know, <laughs> yeah. to really go through the weeds on turning out a full power distribution center and the controls that go along with it. Obviously, they're going to have their SMEs that understand what's going on. But, you know, it takes a team to really define that solution and to really work through the traps and the nuances and the details. And that's where we come in. You know, we have that team and we can really support the SMEs at the various operators and end users who you know need that help. And they drive the overarching, you know, they specify right. what they need. Sure. And then we come in there and 
obviously have some best practices that we like to recommend, but at the end of the day, we're going to work with them to provide the solution that they need for their facility. And it makes more sense to go with someone like you because once that's done, that's done, right? I mean, if I was an operator and I was just like, okay, well, let me get this whole department together and we'll figure this out. And then we do the job and then we get a bunch of guys sitting around doing nothing until the next time we need one, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So let's talk about some projects that you've done. Sure. You know, anything exciting? Yeah, well, <laughs> we, think, you, we, think talk about. we think everything we do is exciting, of course. No, you know, so again, kind of staying on the focus of the speed thing to start. I mean, one of the projects we're really proud of is one of the more recent large pipelines that went through Texas. You know, we were joking about it beforehand. And right. it's like I said, then I, I always joke that it's the only time I've ever seen a project start with a you know, extremely aggressive schedule and actually finish with that extremely aggressive schedule. But it was essentially 12 enclosures with a wide variety of equipment, everything from gas insulated, 27 kV switch gear, medium voltage, low voltage, large 5,000 and 6,000 horse drives. And then, you know, all the controls, PLC, DCS, all of that, that went along with it. And, you know, essentially if you look at the enclosures, cause these were 120 feet by 18 feet wide, wow. split into two yeah. pieces. Some of them were a little bit smaller, but the bulk of them were in that range. And, you know, you look at these on paper and you're generally going to be looking at an 11, 12, 13 month project for the first building. And then you're going to be tacking on, you know, four to six weeks after that. And really what we did, you know, working with the full supply chain, because you know, something of that scale, you had a lot of EPC help. We did have OEM involved in this, but then also the end user was also very sensitive to it. We really came together as a team and focused on working together from the start, right? Just a lot of meetings up front, a lot of open communication about, hey, this is what we need to get done right now. We need to make a decision on, you know, this configuration, this relay setting, right? What part number are we going to select? What are we going to do here, right? Down to that level of detail. Wow. And just throughout the entire engineering process to get all of that done, standardize as much as possible, right? Right. So you come can, across yeah. the 12, right? The advantage of coming to that one, coming to one instead of maybe trying to take 12 buildings across three or four integrators, standardize across so that way you've got some consistency for your maintenance, your operators, right. but then also for the actual execution, right? Mm -hmm. Everything from approval to material ordering. And so then, you know, just really focused on cranking that part out and then moving into the production. And again, this is another area where I really focus on the transparency of the process because the one truth in fabrication is that there's always something that comes up. Right. And, you know, this project may have been, you know, three, three and a half years ago, but even then you have supply chain issues you have design issues that sneak up on you. And so being transparent about where those issues are, because then as a team, you can kind of reprioritize certain things and you can focus on how are we going to move this forward? Maybe we need to make a substitution. Maybe we just need to reorder something in the you know function test that we do at the end. And, you know, really working through that whole process and it really drove through. So instead of that, you know, 10, 11, 12 month for that first enclosure, that first enclosure, full package, shipped in seven months, and then the wow. last one left in 10. And, you know, all got out to the field. We supported all of the commissioning and installation. Again, that's that, you know, full kind of cradle to grave support and just making sure everything got up and running. So, And on a project like that, I mean, with 12 installations, is that 
standardization during the engineering, I mean, that helps with every phase after that, right? Because, I mean, the construction and the approval process and everything, because they can look at one and just go, okay, well, this is good. This is the same one, right? That type of thing? Exactly. Exactly. There's a lot that goes into that, all the way down to just simply the actual production process, right? If the gear is in the same spot every single time, the cable tray can be routed the exact same way. You're pulling the cables to the same spot. You know, it, it sounds small. It sounds simple. But standardizing that type of stuff really pays itself off in spades when you get to those phases. Those little things make a big difference on the execution. Wow. For sure. Wow. So. so, I mean, now with everything that's going on in the oil field, like on the production and side and of the upstream, I mean there's a bigger call for your type of expertise than there ever has been in the past, right? Yeah. I mean, we certainly feel like we're seeing a lot more. I mean, our quote volume, our estimating team has been busier over the last 12 months than probably ever before. And a lot of it comes down to, you know, those types of questions, right? There's a lot more flexibility that people are looking for, you know, with supply chains being where they are, you know, certain equipment that used to be 12, 13 week turnaround is now, 35, 40 weeks. I mean, you're seeing lead times of that regard. We're fortunate because, you know, some of our products that we have, you know, some of the rest of the industry may be seeing 45, 50 week turnarounds and we're still sitting in 26 to 30 weeks. So, you know, we have some advantages there, but because of those lead times, there's a lot of pressure on these project teams, on these large scale projects to find solutions that can short cycle that. You know, the industry is still used to, a project being a standard, quote unquote, standard project being a six month lead time. Well, now that's a 10 to 12 month project because of these supply chain things. And the industry is trying to catch up to that, right? I mean, that's a big shift when you're talking about, you know, millions upon millions of dollars worth of equipment. And it's hard to change that. There's a lot of other pieces that that influences when it comes to construction and FIDs and you know, everything from cash release to just the way these, you know, companies do dedicate the teams that they have. So we're starting to see a lot more conversation around, okay, you know, we know we're under the wire on this. We've really got to get this project going. How can we solve some of these problems? If we need it June 1st, but you know, that piece of equipment isn't even going to show up until June 15th, what options exist? Right. And so that's where, that's where that flexibility we always like to emphasize really comes into play. Yeah. And having a real partner who's working with you on the whole thing, right? I mean, it's like, Hey, we're going to do everything within our power to be able to meet that. But it sounds like, it sounds like a lot of those contracts you were talking about price and other things, but it sounds like a lot of the projects are really time constrained, right? Because people haven't thought about, Oh, how long is it going to take us to get this stuff? They come to you and, oh yeah, we need this in six months. And you're like, yeah, okay, right. Uh, (laughs) Let's get real. You know, this is how long it's going to take. And we can shorten that up if we can do this and this and this, that type of thing, right? Correct. Correct. So any projects out in West Texas, anything? I mean, I know that pipeline project was out in West Texas, right? A big part of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But any kind of, have you seen any like grids going in for oil field, like for drilling and EFRAC and beyond? Yeah. So, you know, again, one of the big things our field service group does, especially, is the West Texas. We have our largest, you know, grouping of individuals are are out in that area. And so we've seen a lot of conversations with them where a lot of these, whether it's fracking groups, some of the pipeline guys are basically transitioning off of a lot of the generator power and onto more, you know, stable existing power that's expanding out there, whether it's grid or whether it's some other type of, you know, electrification of the equipment. And so with that obviously comes all new equipment, all new control buildings, processes and all that. And so we're seeing a very large 
rise in that. You know, in in 2020, you know, a lot of the midstream stuff got real quiet real quick. And we were fortunate that we had a really healthy backlog when COVID kind of took off. And so we were able to kind of weather that storm pretty well. But a lot of that activity stayed dry through most of 2021. And then kind of second half of last year, we started seeing more of that pick up. And it's a lot of those types of conversion projects and upgrading equipment and oh, interesting. You know, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not so much from scratch, more conversions and upgrades, like you're saying. That's a lot of what we're seeing right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. interesting. Things like interesting. that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, Shane, any other questions? Yeah, I was just curious mm-hmm. on speaking of the infrastructure, how much of the renewable side of the business is being implemented or being integrated into that solution? For those solutions. Sure. So the two big ones that we see a lot of conversation around solar is still really, really heavy. You know, there's a lot of various solar projects that are going in there. We're starting to see a lot of offshore wind conversations. Oh, now, some of these yeah. some of these projects are a little bit further out, but we have, you know, a couple of active conversations where we're supporting some of the design of these packages a lot in the northeast. That's a pretty active hub. I think we're going to start seeing more of that here in the Gulf Coast. A lot of real projects starting to develop. But a lot of what's, you know, I'll, I'll say firmed up, you know, again, in quotes for the listeners, is up in the Northeast. And we're seeing a lot of movement on where those projects are going. So we're on the early phases of supporting some of that engineering. And then the last thing, which we were talking a little bit beforehand, is a lot of this battery energy storage. Mm-hmm. And, and energy storage in general, but really specifically around the batteries. You know, every presumably a lot of your listeners are going to be here in Texas. So I'm sure everybody remembers last February. uh, (laughs) Yeah, we do. You know, it got cold for a minute. You know, I think that shock, you know, everybody has seen what the risk to the grid and, you know, just basically all forms of, you know, electricity generation, whether it's the renewables, you know, the windmills not being able to turn, the solar panels not being able to get sun, or even just the pipelines not being able to move product effectively. You know, there's a recognition of a need for that backup. And so, there's a lot of efforts going into that battery energy storage. You know, California is doing a heavy amount of this, but so is Texas. There's some major projects both west and outside of just even Fort Worth for large battery backup scale, both at the utility scale, right at the power gen side of it. But you're also seeing a lot of it starting to take place at more of the distribution levels where it's kind of more immediate response and, you know, reaction to minor issues. So if a single substation goes off, they've got that battery back up. And so you're seeing a lot of deployments like that and a lot of conversations starting to move. And that battery technology is really a big area that we're trying to stay engaged in. There's a very ongoing conversation, you know, between duration and reliability and cost effectiveness, as well as disposal. I mean, we joking about the lithium right. beforehand, like lithium is it's tough to find right now. There's certain things going on in the world that are making it harder to find. You know, so there's a lot of new battery technologies that are coming out there that whether it's saltwater or just other, you know, VRLA type technologies that are really trying to expand the potential for what those can do. Yeah. And in really critical situations, the ability for those batteries to kick in instantaneously within milliseconds of a power fluctuation, that's really key. So, and sorry, and that's an important piece of it too, because that's where a lot of what our piece comes in. You know, because we're not necessarily unique on the battery, right? We don't have a battery. There's right. not a Volta or W Industries battery. But what we are good at is, again, packaging, whether it's the batteries, the combiners, inverters, what have you, packaging that equipment together, but then also the balance of plant, right? And that's, mm-hmm. the, big, that's the big challenge is 
with the way the W Industries model really works on something like that is, you know, we have the inherent knowledge for the battery enclosure itself, but then where we really provide our value on that is the balance of equipment, whether it's the switch gear, combiners, that equipment, the control equipment to take the batteries, right? Because a lot of these are small deployments. I mean, you're not building a single 100 megawatt uh, right. enclosure, right? It's a series of two, five, 10, and then all coupled together. And so, you know, our ability to really take that balance of equipment, pull that together, and then even more so support with the automation team and their ability to develop the monitoring systems, the transfer systems that are required to control all of that, make sure, you know, thermal runaway is under control, make sure you understand, you know, how your battery life is operating, but then also the field service team, you know, that team is built with people who can do that full installation, who can go out and really put everything in there. And so that's where that model really comes together in a big way. That's awesome. Well, I tell you, Michael, I've really enjoyed having you here today because this is how I get my education, man. And I feel like so much smarter having spoken with you. Well, and, I don't want to go this. that far, but I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I, hey, I feel like we could talk for hours about this because, you know, I'm intrigued by it. And, you know, the big question is, how are we going to support all this demand on the marketplace for electrification? And yep. Michael, appreciate you providing a lot of insight into that. And you're right. That facility is amazing. And I like your, I'm going to do my hand signals now that nobody can see for the listeners, <laughs> but you can see that concentric, you know, circle. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can see that, how that emulates throughout your whole organization. So we really appreciate you having out here and thanks for making the time to be on the podcast with us. Yeah. Look, thank you guys. Thanks again for the invite and really enjoyed the conversation and food was good too. All right. Awesome. <laughs> well, we'll have to do it again. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Sounds good. Bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening to today's guest. If you have any questions related to today's episode, please email us at oetpodcast at worldoil.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Joliet Electric Motor that's been providing engineered custom motor solutions for the oil field for over 30 years. If you have any questions related to your motor needs, please email me at shaneh at joliettelectricmotors.com. Electric Motors.com.